Hello and welcome to the Sci-Fi FX Podcast, episode number 110. Woohoo! Wow. That's right. I'm your host today, Carl. With me I have Troy. Hello, fellow Gunters. Big Dog. Hey there. And our special guest, Matt. Hey guys, how's it going? And welcome back to the Sci-Fi FX Podcast. <laughs> it's been a dog's rock. age. <laughs> it has been a dog's age. It's been a very long time. And in case anyone caught the the um, reference at the beginning by Troy, this is our book club podcast this month, and the book is Ernest Klein's Ready Player One. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't stay away from that. <laughs> I just couldn't sheer, do it. Sheer awesomeness. Yep. All right, we're done. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Read the book. You'll be caught up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean... Where do you start with a book like this? I mean, it's just Page one. so good. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, obviously. But... So, um, a lot of us, a lot of us related to this a lot because of the, um, because we grew up with it. The source material. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just it's it's like everything that epitomizes a, a kid of this age and and everything going on when we were young. Including a great many things we forgot about. <laughs> and yeah. a great many things we forgot about. And then a few things that were just outside of our our realm of things that but I'm sure that's that other people associate it with. You know? Oh yeah. Oh no, I, I've lived in a uh twenty seven story high trailer park with uh you know, my only refuse a van somewhere in the <laughs> stacks. <laughs> and and uh, I was thinking that I was listening to the beginning of it on the way um, here tonight, and I, the the one that caught my eye was and an occasional micro bus thrown in for yeah. <laughs> good measure. <laughs> Get on with it. Yeah, I mean occasional micro bus. I mean this thing is it's just so loaded with references to everything we grew up with. <laughs> Basically, and you know, I I really don't know where to start with it. I mean, well, I can tell you exactly where I would start. Could we give kind of like the general overall premise of the book? I will first just say this: all the TV shows, movies, and other pop culture out there is doing nothing but fan wank, and they're doing it badly. <laughs> this book is how you do it. Yeah, go big or go home. <laughs> And this book definitely goes big. It is. Not- I guess this is one of those books that you know it 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 pays to have familiar great familiarity with with the content in which you're writing. And I guess that was. I remember talking to him. I think there's a video. I think there's still a YouTube video posted on our website with him, me interviewing him, and that was what he basically said: is he just wrote about what he knew. Yep. Yeah. First rule of writing. Yeah. I guess that's why so much so much of it we we relate to it because every kid in the '80s was hanging out at the arcade and and I mean it went from one game to another. I, there was some of the references that I didn't get with, pertaining to mu- to music and stuff. Most of them I knew, but I didn't know very well. But almost all of the games were, you know, anything from the Joust to the Tempest to the Pac-Man to the I mean just went on and on and on and on. Other than some of the fighting games were just a staple in my life for years. <laughs> yep, and all the references to TV shows and movies and <clears throat> so, 
I guess we could, we kind of could should give the basic premise of the book. So this basically takes place. What was it in like 2045? Yeah, 2044. 2044, and um, essentially in the year 2012, a new game came online called the Oasis, which was a new totally immersive virtual reality system that quickly incorporated other games such as Warcraft and um, Oblivion and things like that, and very shortly became synonymous with the internet. You didn't get on the internet anymore, you just got on the Oasis. And it became very much like Second Life is now, where people could actually work on the Oasis and make money, and shortly that became just about the only jobs you could get. So, and essentially, gas is so expensive, no one can afford to drive anywhere, so everyone moves into these giant cities, and the people can't that can't afford to live in a decent place basically live in mobile home parks that have become called the stacks because land is so valuable. They just started building these big scaffoldings and stacking mobile homes and RV trailers on top of each other, some 16 or 20 high. And due to the recession, you have like 15 people in each one. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, multiple families living in one mobile home. And like Matt was saying, before we got on the start, every once in a while, there's a minibus thrown in for flavor. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and occasionally these stacks just kind of collapse on each other. So the way they describe it, the stacks are so tall that, you know, 15 or 16 high, I think is what he says. But there's the, to this being so tall is that no light really gets down through down to the bottom. So yeah. everything, on all the grass and everything on the bottom just kind of dies out. And blah. So it's, it's a very oppressive world. And the only place anyone has any fun is in the oasis and that's also where everybody works so it's kind of this mixture of you go in there to do your day job working in a cubicle doing things but you also can roam around in powered battle armor with blasters and lightsabers (laughs) it's almost like the matrix if the robots weren't in charge yeah yeah that's about the best explanation you're gonna get on that you know if we did it to ourselves yeah, we have a dystopian world outside, and everybody's found their utopia inside the thing, almost to the point where nobody on the outside cares anymore. Yeah, all that most people can think of is, you know, when can I log in next? Yeah. Which is how some people are with Twitter and Facebook now. <laughs> and, and World of Warcraft. Speaking of which, i got to go check into Facebook. Hold on. No. We'll make it. <laughs> you mean you, you actually disconnect? I'm, I'm on the Ready Player One Facebook page right now. <laughs> I was. <laughs> but it, And then essentially one day, um, the guy who invented the Oasis dies. And he la- leaves this video will telling people that he's left an Easter egg in the Oasis and whoever finds it gets all of his money and control of his company, which controls the Oasis, which is everything. They say an amount at the very beginning. I don't remember what it was, but I think it was something on the, on the, in the realms of $250 billion or something. Yeah, is it crap like that. $240 billion. But in true form to this guy, who was a video game creator, <laughs> he said that it wasn't just so much finding the Easter egg, but you had to do it by playing the game. Mm-hmm. Yep, there are three keys to find. Each key opens a gate, and you've got to perform whatever trial awaits you inside the gate in order to move to the next level. Then you will be tested. Yep. And 
some of the stuff is just that goes on in this is just brutal. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, even for from the first time, the first key was found five years after the contest started, and yep. most people thought it was too hard to actually find it. Yeah, nothing but, happened for five years other than research. But the big thing is the guy who invented the Oasis was grew up during the 80s, like we did. He's basically about our age. <clears throat> and um, was just, his entire life was fascinated by everything that went on in the late 70s, 80s, and, and very early 90s. Primarily the, the 80s, but there were some references to things from the, the 70s and, and 90s. Yeah. So all of the turn, all of the games and stuff that you have to play to find the keys and get through the gates all revolve around 80s pop culture. So that becomes the new thing that everybody researches and everyone gets into. So you got people in 2045 or 2044 um, wearing, you know, outfits from the 80s and playing all these video games like Joust and Pong and. Watching yeah. TV shows from... Yeah. Uh... watching Family Pies. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Halliday put out this almanac, which Halliday's the guy that created the Oasis. He created an almanac full of references, essays, and everything else about the 80s stuff and what his favorite movies were, TV shows, music, the whole nine yards. And most people study this like some people study ancient cultures. Mm-hmm. It's just fascinating the way it went to work. It's great. I mean, I, some of the references and stuff that they use in this thing, I have long since forgotten about in some cases. <laughs> yeah, sometimes on purpose and sometimes not. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if, if you grew up in the 80s, this book is just an awesome joyride through your childhood memories. It's a validation of just how cool you had it. <laughs> and you know, the one thing that, the, that I particularly liked about the way this book was written is that it came in and there wasn't one big buildup and one big finale. It came in waves of, oh. you know, small buildups and small finales over and over and over building to the big, the big major ones. So you got payoffs all the way through it. Um, but in, and you didn't get hit with just the one big one at the end, even though you still get, you know, all of that at the end. But that was, that kind of like the way that it was written that way is there was, there was a lot of bad stuff happens to the guy, but at the same time, a lot of good stuff happens to the guy and a lot of cool twists and turns. But the yeah, bad it was really bad. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I agree with Matt's point because in a lot of people that would write something like this, They'd spend 200 pages of build-up, and then the next 100 pages just running through how all three challenges were met, and you're over and done with. Yeah. And this was not how this was played out. This was very well balanced in between. And when they're putting these riddles in front of you, because you're as much playing the game as they are at this yeah. point, and a lot of praise goes to Will Wheaton for the way he read it in that in that respect. Um you're trying to figure them out with them because you knew some some of the things, but then you're like, wait a minute, where else is this? Where, where more can this go? And mm -hmm. then they tell you, and you're sitting there smacking your head going, oh, I should have figured that out. Yeah, I did that a couple times. <laughs> it's like, of course, where else could it go? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, the, the audiobook is narrated by Will Wheaton, 
and he Why put so much emphasis on the age. <laughs> and he he does a an, an awesome job at this. I mean, well, he was handpicked because he could actually pronounce all of that stuff. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, just he did a great job. I mean, he even he tried to do other voices and and um you know um I can't think of the word now. Oh yeah, he was clearly gaming. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, he he he, he, did. he treated it like an RPG. Yeah. No. Which is funny because some of it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of references to D and D in it. There was a lot of references to everything. Everything, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Which I, I was, I, I, I told Troy this when I first started listening to it. I, I listened to the first two or three hours of the book, and I kept, you know, because they were throwing all these references, you know, the DeLoreans and um, Monty Python and Star Trek and Star Wars and Dungeons and Dragons and all this stuff and all these old video games. And I keep thinking, you know, he keeps mentioning all this stuff and some fairly obscure things. And he mentions Monty Python several times. And I'm like, well, where's the TARDIS? Where, where's a Doctor Who reference? Come on, give me a Doctor Who reference. And he mentions like these starships parked on the the school planet and all this stuff, and them leaving not one single TARDIS or anything like that. Then the next day, I'm listening to it, and he mentions how much that the transport booths remind him of Doctor Who's TARDIS. (laughs) Yes. Okay, I I have to ask, how much would it have killed it for you had there not been a reference? It would have really bugged me. It really. (laughs) I only got the one, but that was enough. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's on his Facebook page oh, I know The TARDIS is sitting right there It and the DeLorean, two time machines <laughs> Across the red carpet from each other you know, the, the, the worst thing about a book like this Is anything that follows it is really hard to swallow It really is <laughs> And to think we gotta pick a book at the end of this Yeah it's just, it, 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 uh, I, there's so many aspects of this I could go back through and go over and over and over. And I bet I've, I bet I've, you know, I listened to this one on the audio book and I bet I've listened to it 10 times already. Um, <laughs> just, just on the way home, you know, to get here to record, it was like, okay, I got a 30 minute ride. And I started over again, just listening to it um, <laughs> um, again, just on the way home, because it's just, there's so many aspects of it and you catch something new every time. And it kind mm-hmm. of reminds me of them when they're going through and they're playing the, you know, playing the games that he has and watching the shows that he has. And you're kind of looking for those hints because I'm just convinced that somewhere in this book, there's some kind of hidden message, some kind of Easter egg that no one's found yet. I'm just, I'm convinced oh, no. it's there. Oh no, they found it. <laughs> oh, did they? Yeah. The, the grand prize was actually a DeLorean. So what was the Easter egg? Well, it was different games that, that he had listed in there. If you go to the wiki page for Ready Player One, it actually has a little subsection called Easter Egg Hunt. Yep. And you can read about it. <laughs> I didn't know about it either until this evening. Was it a known Easter Egg Hunt? I mean, did he announce it? or was Yeah, it he, he uh, apparently 10 months after the... It says right here, it says, uh, 10 months after the first edition release, Klein revealed on his blog that Ready Player One itself contained an elaborately hidden Easter egg. This clue would form the first part of a series of staged video game tests similar to the plot of the novel. Klein also reveals that a competition grand prize would be a DeLorean. The game Ultimate Collector Garage Sale by Austin-based developer Portal of... Portalarium? Portalarium? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> was featured in one part of the contest. The final stage of the contest was announced on August 1st, and it was set 
and was to set a world record on one of the several classic arcade or Atari 2600 games. This was completed on August 9th by Craig Queen, who set a new world record in Joust. <laughs> he was awarded his DeLorean on the TV show X-Play. Cool. <laughs> and in Joust, too. That is yeah, so appropriate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wonder yeah. if he had to fight the, the, the lich. There's no room for horses yeah. in here. <laughs> Not horses. Not birds. birds. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love the expression there. But yeah, I mean, just the the way the book was written, um, Will Wheaton did an awesome job narrating it, and just the constant stream of references that brought me back to my, my early to mid-childhood. Um you know, if I could go back and interview this guy again and talk to him <laughs> one more time, you know, the question would have to be, when when he wrote this book, did all those references and streams just come out of his head without thinking about them? Or did he consciously sit down and say, okay, here's a list of 800 things that I want to include <laughs> and get, you know, that and go back and look things up intentionally to put them in there? Because some of those references are are so obscure that, you know, it's just trivial stuff that some people know. And I'm sure that if any of us sat down and came up with a list of trivial stuff that we knew, that it, for some people it would seem very difficult and for some it would seem very easy. But I, I'm curious if he himself, if all those were personal things that came out of his own mind or were those things that he thought, oh, this would be kind of cool to include. I'm sure it's probably I, a bit of both. It probably is, but I can't help but think that he had a blog somewhere, like his yeah. own notebook or something that, <laughs> that he just... He'd mention he'd, something and other people would go, yeah, what about this and that and blah, 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 and then he'd have a list. Yeah. <laughs> it would be so easy to, to crowdsource something like that nowadays. And, you know, we haven't even mentioned that um, Ernest Klein is also the guy who wrote the Fanboys movie. Yes. Which, there again, if you've not seen it, it is a ball of awesome. Oh, yeah. It's incredibly fun. <laughs> Of course, if you're a Star Wars fan and you haven't seen this, why not? <laughs> and you know, I, I have to admit, like Matt said, following this book up with anything is almost a letdown. It really is. And I've started listening to the first book of um, Game of Thrones, and I miss oh. Ready Player One already. <laughs> See, when, when I listened to Ready Player One the first time, I immediately backed it with just basic history. <laughs> and then I ended up listening to a bunch of music for two weeks because I just couldn't follow it. Yeah. I mean, not not that I'm not enjoying Game of Thrones, but... I, I, well, it doesn't have the, the sense of humor. Yeah, and, and well, I, I primarily listen to these on my way to and from work. And when I was listening to Ready Player One, I, I literally just remember you know being at work thinking... I need to get done with my work as fast as I can so I can get in my car and listen. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to listen to more. Yeah. You know, the same thing happened to me, Carl, so don't feel bad because when I first started, I mean, I downloaded my first book was, was Isaac Asimov's um, found, Foundation. Is that right? Is that the yeah. name of it? Yeah. Foundation. Yeah. And um, then Troy turned me on to this one. He says, oh, you got to watch You got to listen to this one. So <laughs> this was my second book, which obviously by now I'm, you know, 80 books into it uh, six months later. Um <laughs> But it it just you know if you want if if you've never read or listened to a book before this is like a really good starting point because you will be addicted to looking for that next really really good book because uh, they they don't come along that often. Problem well, is, I mean they do. There's lots of good books out there, but there's very few that just 
take you this high. Yeah. But but like Carl said, you know, after you're done with it, where do you go from there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you have to go out <laughs> and find, you know, find your style and find something else that compares with it because this is just so well, so so there's nothing to compare to it. Well, you know what you do? You wait for him to put out a second book. <laughs> yep. See, I'm I'm jonesing for the next Dresden book, so I'm thinking that's probably going to be the next one that'll... Yeah, it's about the only thing I can think of that I've gone through recently that's even close to being this on par. Yeah. It's just, I mean, this book is just... I mean, there's yeah, there's a lot of bad stuff that happens to the, the primary characters in the book, but it's there's, a, it's... there's just a lot of fun involved with it, too. Well, you know, in order for anything to be that rewarding, there has to be some some bad stuff that happens to him. I mean, he had a really rough life when it started. Oh, yeah. You know? And and he yeah. goes right out and says it at the very beginning. You know, I wish someone had just started off and told me, you know, you were, you were born into a sewer, life sucks, <laughs> and then you die. Yeah. And he said it in a lot more <laughs> delicate and... Uh, a lot more eloquent. Well, yeah. Eloquently yeah, but... <laughs> than I just said it. But essentially, that's what he said. Pretty much the same thing. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, he was... Basically, he lived in that, in a a van that was buried under a giant pile of other crushed vehicles that had somehow miraculously been able to be survived by the placement of specific trucks and things around it so it didn't crush. Officially, though, he lives behind the dryer in the laundry room in his aunt's. Yeah, exactly. But he he only lives there when it's too cold for him to stay in the van. Right. The rest of the time he stays in the van because it's so bad at his aunt's, he doesn't want to live there. And like you said, he only gets to sleep in that little corner between the dryer and the wall in the laundry room. Then to have enough electricity to to power his game, he gets on the bike and rides. Yeah, he gets on an (laughs) cycle and charges up a bunch of old car batteries so that he has enough power to run his gaming console. Yeah, space heater. Yeah periodically a space heater because it drains the batteries too quick but yeah i mean that that's i mean kids nowadays think that they have a hard life (laughs) no the the level of detail in this book is beyond insane but i tell you the one thing that matches the detail is the level of heart that this thing has Mm -hmm. i mean this, this has a quality science fiction story there you know what amazed me the most and probably my most favorite part of this is in in the book when it it when he turns that twist and actually does everything and doesn't tell anybody about it. Yeah. You, yeah. you remember that part? That was that is when I realized there was more to this book than just a story. That was such a unique twist and such a unique way to go and it, it left me reeling for a while. I, th- I think I even went back and reread that a chapter when it originally happened because I was like, "What?" <laughs> Did that really just happen? Yeah. And and so, you know, that that's that's the part about this one is it's like one one it's like you said, it's got a heart, but it's more than that. There is there's there's something truly special about this one because it it's got those pieces in it that just in every aspect and going back to what I originally said, there's multiple of those scenarios going on. It's not yeah. just one big build up. It's not, you know, it's not your hunger game where the first half of the book builds you up and the second half of the book tells you what happens. Right. It's, this one goes up and down, up and down, up and down to one big giant up and down. Yeah. See, the, this book could be easily dismissed as fluff just because of all the fan wake in it. But I don't know. I'm, 
I don't think I'm going too far out on a limb here when I say that this thing is, is an instant classic. Yeah. This book, this book speaks to the, to an age. This is everything it needs to be. It's got enough to say this is, could happen in our future anytime. I mean, it's happening now. There's a lot of it that's going mm-hmm. that way. Oh yeah. But it's, it's got every 80s hallmark you need to. I mean, even right through the ending, Ward's like, you know, this could be the the ending of an 80s John Hughes film. <laughs> oh, the ending so, is a perfect John Hughes film. Yeah. I mean, that's I mean, that's the that's the truth of it. This book speaks to the age of people, and you know, if if in 20 years somebody comes along and writes a book to speak to that age, I I really hope for the best for those people because. <laughs> This book is my childhood. This is everything to me. What makes you wonder about this book, though, is another 50 years from now, you know, there's some books that 50, 100, 200 years after they're written, they're still going to be good. And these are, this one is really, really good, but is it because we associate with it so closely that those fan winks mean so much to us that we give it credit for, for it? But to be honest with you, I'm not sure it's just that. I think there's actually a... a an underlying quality of the story here too. There's, there's a serious social uh, social message there. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, the, that the, it's going to live. Well, I, I see the problem that this book is going to have with longevity like that is that yes, it is a good solid sci-fi story and, and a social commentary and all that, but there are so many references that are so important to the story that deal with the eighties in particular that a hundred years from now, no one's going to understand any of those references. I'm not sure. They'll just understand the reboots. Yeah, or what <laughs> comes right down, but you see what comes right down to it is that, you know, we're going, most everything that they need to look stuff up like this is already online. Yeah. If they want to know what it's about, they'll look it up. I mean, and not only that too, I think the fact that, because that era, and this is something that we we aren't going to ever get to be able to look back and say again, because the games were so simplistic in nature, mm-hmm. his description of them really tells you all there is about. I mean, when he describes yeah. Joust, oh, yeah, really, what more do you need to know to understand how they can play the game? <laughs> yeah. I mean, on top of that, though, those games are not nearly as easy as people give them credit for. Oh no. I mean, some of the some of them were very simplistic, but you know, when it's not just, okay, well, I died, so I'm going to pick up from the last save. This is, you died, you start again. Try oh, yeah. it. I remember and, being not being able to hit that flat button hard enough. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, <laughs> you're looking for the, you're not looking to see, you know, how quickly you can get through a game. You're looking to see if you can beat the highest score. Or if you could make your afternoon last because you only had a dollar. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember those days. <laughs> one Pac-Man, ro- ro- one Robotron. But one see, I, I think that's part of the allure of the book is that we remember those days. Yeah. And a hundred years from now, people aren't going to have that. I link. disagree. I the disagree. St- the story. You look, look at a movie like American Graffiti. Uh huh. That appeals to a wider audience, but it does appeal to to the generation it's specific to. Yeah. I didn't say it wouldn't appeal to a wider audience. I said it wouldn't be as big of a thing. It's not going to have as heavy an impact 100 years from now as it does now. Depends on how popular the period pieces have become. I I really, you see, I can't agree with that either because when when it comes right down to this, the way it's written 
yeah, there's all the nods to everything in there, but it's written by somebody who explains these things so well that it's not going to be just, well, I don't get the reference, move on. It's, okay, this is a great starting point. I want to know more. I, I think it's going to have longevity to it because I think people are really going to feel the heart and soul of what he's trying to write and look it up for themselves. You know, the true, the true proof is going to be in the pudding here. The question is, is does this appeal to any of the young readers in, in the world mm -hmm. today? Because if it does, then they didn't have that. They don't have what we have, that, that attachment to history, that yeah. 80s life that we lived. But if you can get someone that, you know, wasn't born until, you know, the 90s to feel the same way about it, I, I'll agree with you. But I, I think I agree with both of you. I think Carl's got it right where it won't have that same love for it that we have, but it'll still be quite successful for many years to come. Oh, yeah. And no, I'm forever. I, I think it's going to be a classic, just not that way it is now. I think Troy and Big Dog are right for probably the next 20 years or so. But once you hit 50 or 100 years from now, I don't think so. I think it'll still be a good story. It'll still be a good book. But when the references are that old to something that people, let's be honest, just don't care about anymore now, for one thing, let alone in 100 years from now. Because if people cared about it now, they wouldn't be remaking and destroying these things. Well, keep in mind, I mean, to put this in perspective, they just made a movie about The Great Gatsby. Yep. It's a 100-year-old book. Yep. And keep in mind, most people don't care. Well, the flip side yeah, is they also made The Lord of the Rings. That's exactly you know, 50-year-old. That's a timeless tale. So it says. On a bright on a bright side, here and here's the next question: If 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 he's going to make a second book, let's where do you think it's going to go? Where I mean, <laughs> how does this? How does how do you top this? How do you continue this story from where it left off? I think the next one's going to probably be sophomore slump. <laughs> I mean that that's the curse of of a mini writer, you know. No matter how good it is it would be hard-pressed to compete with this one. Yeah. My personal no. opinion is the way you continue this book is that you get, you get, you turn it into a hacker versus him now. Well, I don't hackers. think there is going to be a, a sequel to this book. Yeah, I, I don't know that he would continue this story. I'm sure his next book will probably be something completely different from this, or not, maybe yeah, not completely he's... different, but a completely different universe, a, a different story. He's doing something completely different for his next book. I don't remember exactly what what it was that he was doing, but I don't think he's going to go back to this one. If my my opinion means anything on this one, I don't think he should. Where this ended is exactly where it should. Yeah. Most people, when they write books these days, they're thinking in trilogies and you know far beyond scale stuff. Yeah, publishers want the sure bet, so they look at series. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I think this book just needs to stay right where it is. I concur. It ends, it, it ends right where it should. I definitely concur with that. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't think that they're... I mean, at most, I could see like a short story that takes place a year or so after this, but not a full book. Just kind of like a, a, pro, a prologue to it or something, but... Well, I could see where if if he goes back and has you know the the fight with the the um, the Sixers and the Sixers attempt to illegally take over 
I mean, I can see the hacker versus, you know, the hacker side of it. It would give you a lot of what happened after the 80s and bring you into the 90s with the computer era, the 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 whole thing, and kind of continue the story and then with the next generation and pick up a whole other group of readers. I could see that that could feasibly happen. See, I'm thinking if you didn't pull the plug on the Sixers as soon as as soon as everything was over, <laughs> yeah. he deserves to lose. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm thinking he pretty much did that, cause especially with the kind of power he wields at the end of the book. Mm-hmm. There's no way that group was getting back online that easily. Oh no, and I, I was sitting there thinking, you know, when he was talking about how, um, you know, the one lead sixer could afford, you know, would probably get off scot free because he could afford the best lawyers on the planet. I'm sitting there thinking, no, he can afford the second best lawyers. You can afford the best lawyers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, so I, mean, I I I think yeah that that would one that and the the whole company was coming under suspicion that the Sixers worked for because of their practices and all that stuff. So I think they well, would be what I'm saying is much just, of anything. just because you put a company under doesn't mean you put the people that are there. There was still a lot of dedicated people there. Sure. Yeah. But they were dedicated because that company was paying their salaries. Once that company fires them, they're not going to care. So let me ask you this one, because uh, the movie rights were optioned back before the, <laughs> the book actually got published. That's going to be a licensing nightmare. <laughs> that was my thought. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> can, they, can they contain this in a two or three hour movie? No. I think it would no, have to be a trilogy. You, you do a trilogy, you do one movie for each level, because the book was divided into three levels. You know, um, I don't know. One per gate, basically. So I think, to me, I think they need to just do a a mini series on TV. That would be nice too, but it, it wouldn't have the budget that a trilogy of movies would have. Even with an HBO budget, it it wouldn't be able to cover all the licensing. Yeah, I, I yeah. think you'd almost have to have a, a Hollywood movie budget in order to cover the effects and the licensing that would be required for this beast. I mean, the good news is Warner Brothers bought the rights, so they've got half half the stuff already. The bad news is Star Wars is involved, so they're going to have to hurl at least half of that budget at Disney. <laughs> well, and all the MGM stuff, too. Yeah. <laughs> and not to mention the Toho and a few others, too. Yeah. And the, you know, there isn't a single book that we've read that, has, that hasn't that has lost a lot of detail when it goes to theater. So could they put it in one movie? Yeah, I think they could. Would it do it justice? Probably wow. not. Uh, but you know, know what? Think... That would be true about every, you know, half of the other movies yeah. that that I've read. You could you put, you know, do you do them full justice? No, you don't. Would we like to see them done full, full, full out? Yes, we would. But will they? That's another question. Yeah. But I mean, you know, as upset as I can be about certain cuts and stuff they made to some books, at least I can understand certain things for timing and issue. With this stuff. There are so many things tied together that if one goes missing, it feels like they really cut out the heart and soul of it. Yeah, well, I mean, there, there are certain things they could trim and you wouldn't really miss that much, but I, I still think the best way they would do it would be to do a trilogy and do one for each gate, because in the book it's split up by each gate. Yeah. You have level one, level two, and level three. So you just title it Ready Player One, Level One, and Level Two, and Level Three, and just cut it into those sections and you could easily do 
each of those sections of the book in a two-hour movie without having you'd still have to cut stuff out obviously because it's a 16-hour book but you could you know a lot of that book is the such detailed descriptions of everything that he sees and comes across right which you can show in a split second on a movie screen without having to go into that level of description and detail so that cuts a lot of the time down there and you know you do some montages of him playing joust or whatever and <laughs> so you... I mean, there's that entire piece that he gets on that that he gets on the bus that is just one line of description after another i mean there's probably there's probably 50 pages there that would be in a two-minute scene of him you know sitting on the bus trekking yeah. A, yeah sitting on a bus with a the camera pointed out a window you know for a few seconds and that would be the the end of it, you know. So I don't know. I think it would have to, in order to to really know, you'd have to get you know someone that he was doing the screenplay himself. I think if if I remember correctly, that sounds right. Or he was part of it, one or the other. I don't Which remember. Would be important because the only way this would translate even remotely well is if they capture his voice. Oh, exactly. And he would know what could be cut, and it still make sense instead of having someone else come in and just hack and slash stuff out and hope that it pieces back together properly yeah he would know which yeah. which references could easily be trimmed out because they weren't important in you know level two or three later on um so i would definitely hope they had him doing the screenplay or at least you know it, working with someone else on it no as long as he gets something like an executive producer credit where he's got a lot of say as to what happens in the movie itself. That's you go find a wall because I mean some directors they'll just take it and want it end. And if they film it, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to end up in the film. It'll be on the cutting room floor. No, uh, exactly. I mean, it's that's the that's the big fear on this one because you know w with a movie like this, he needs to exercise some creative control, I think, in order to make sure that everything comes out okay. Well, remember all the the fighting and struggling. That he had to do with fanboys, because the studio wanted to take out the whole friend dying of cancer thing. Yeah, and yeah, he, I'm like, he had a good partner with Kyle Newman though, yeah, so I'm like, that helped. That's the whole point of the movie. <laughs> if you take yeah. that out, they're just a bunch of jerks that are trying to steal the movie. <laughs> and, and that same kind of thing could easily go with this story. Oh, exactly. Yeah, you, know, you have that potential. Yeah, no offense to Warner Brothers, but. <laughs> they aren't exactly known for letting source material play out very well. No. DC movies. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, let me ask a question to y'all. Uh, what was your favorite part of the book, Troy? Oh, God, where do <laughs> I even start? Wow, yeah. What was the question? I missed it. What was your favorite part of, of the book? Oh, I, I, I just like I said before, I like that spot where, where it takes he he decides that he's no longer some kid from the sticks that can't do anything about it and takes things into his own hand. That in in my mind is the turn of the book that makes it so special. It makes him who he is. It makes the book what it is, and it changes everything. I mean, you you can see a fine you can see a, a line across the pages of that part of the book from. Before that, he was one person. After that, he's another person. It's it's, yeah. but it's an understandable person. Things had just gone so far. I love that twist of 
it, you know, it almost reminds me of, 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 of why you're writing. You sit down and you stop working on something. And then six months later, you come back. You don't reread what you did or, or figure out where you were. You just start writing the rest of it. It was <laughs> that much of a line right there. But it was so it was so powerful. And I, I meant that in a good, good way that, you know, it switched at, at that point. That was my favorite part. The way it switched and the way he just made up his mind. You know what? These these guys aren't getting away with this. I'm going to do something about it. Yeah, I think I think there's there's that point, and then for me, I really loved the part where he realized what the quarter was for. That was nice. <laughs> that, yeah, that just that blew my mind. <laughs> I loved that bit. I was just like, oh no way. <laughs> And and the sad part is, is it makes perfect sense, and it should have made sense to all of us. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. <laughs> Except, you know, the only thing that could have made it even more clear what was going to actually happen later on with that that quarter was some kind of sound effect or or something like that that went with it. You know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I loved that bit. And then the, the whole thing he had to go through to get the quarter, and then he thought it was useless. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing's useless in this story. Oh, no, no, no. It all comes around. So, Big Dog, what was your favorite part? I'm going to go with the me- it was something that had a lot of meaning to it for because it was the biggest thing that ever happened to the Oasis, and probably just because it is the nods everywhere. I love the fight between the mechs and <laughs> uh, Mecha Godzilla. Yeah, I am a huge Godzilla fan. When that one got pulled out, and it's the bad guy Sorrento that has it, I'm like, oh, this is gonna be an epic fight. And yeah, then they they break out, all these mechs getting busted down, and they pull out Ultraman to stop the thing. I was sitting in my chair at work with my hands up in the air. My coworkers are looking at me like I lost my freaking mind. <laughs> But I'm having a great time listening to it. Oh, yeah, and that that was, I think, really the best part of the whole book was it was just so much fun to listen to it. I mean, it, it felt like you were winning a video game just listening to the book. Yeah, it really you does. Felt, you felt like you were every bit of that fight. Mm-hmm. There was no way around it. Oh, yeah, and the whole time when they're sitting there trying to figure out the puzzles and, and the clues and stuff, and you're just racking your brain trying to figure them out, too. It's it's a very interactive book for just being a book. You know, it, it doesn't have, it's not a choose-your-own-adventure book. It doesn't have, you know, it's not a an interactive iPad book where you can tap on things and different things happen and stuff. It's just a book, but you feel like it's an interactive story because you're such a part of it. Yeah, and you see, this was a really big thing for me because... Let's take the last book club, for example, versus this this month's. Last month, we listened to Neuromancer, and I listened to it once. I got it finished right before we were going to do the podcast for it. I mean, like, you know, a couple days before it. And my brain had melted from listening to it because, I mean, it, it was a good book, but I knew I was going to have to listen to it again because I needed to really get some more thoughts on it. It was so bleak and depressing and it was meant to be in a lot of ways yeah this one is very much based on that i mean this is this is neuromancer on willy wonka juice (laughs) (laughs) and and, uh 
it just it so plays out so much better and i mean you you feel good listening to it. it they have a horrible world that they're in but by the end of it there's so much freaking hope and you're with them you're with them through everything and even going through it because i listened to this one two times before we came into this <laughs> podcast yeah i mean i had so much fun the first time i had to listen to it again and it's like even knowing where the puzzles were taking me and what was happening to each of the gates, I was like, man, this is this is fun. I'm I'm following this. I want to be part of the adventure. All right, I got some breaking news. You know, I kind of remembered this from when I was in Austin and I did my interview <laughs> with Ernie, and I just went back and listened to it. So I've been quiet for a while. But if you go back to that interview that I did with him at three minutes and 33 seconds, I ask him this exact question. Will there be a second book? And he actually says there'll be a trilogy. Oh, wow. <laughs> he said right now he's working on another book that's completely unassociated with it. And he's working on getting the movie out. But after that, he thinks that he will go back to it. And that he's got plans for three. So standard drama, then <laughs> book two will be the Sixer strike back. Yeah. And then book three will be Return of the Gunter. Yes. <laughs> hey, now you know what that sounds that sounds crazy on the surface, but you know I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah. I hope he, he said doesn't we'll have screw to up crazy. the ending to the first one though, because that that is a perfect ending to this book. Yeah, yeah. it really was. But you know the 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 Revenge of the Sixters could could really throw a wrench into it. I mean, there's a, a, there is a, there is a, he was, he's been given the keys to the castle because he's honest and he's going to do what's right. Not because he's going to take his, his money and his power and squash these guys like a bug. So yeah. I, I think that, that, you know, it, the, unfortunately the superheroes of the good guys always have to put up with the bad guys. And so that's gonna, what I feel is going to end up happening or the contract that they have to provide the tech support in that is going to get in the way of everything, and he's not going to be able to squash him like a bug. You know, something's got to happen. But anyway, I, I thought I had remembered him saying that. I figured, you know, I was actually at that interview, and uh, <laughs> I probably should have. But then y'all got me questioning it because I'm thinking, well, I'm certainly everyone watched that. I'm going to go back and, and review it again. So trilogy, you heard it not quite here first. Yeah. <laughs> So he does have plans for a trilogy, but it was an I thinks and yeah, I'm going to and well, you're going to have to be patient and because I got a bunch of other things going on. And so no, no firms, but yes, definitely more. Well, we've got fans of George R. R. Martin here, so we know how to be patient. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Fantastic book. Fantastic book from beginning to end. Yep. Listen to it, read it, do something. Watch the movie when it comes out. I I highly recommend <laughs> the audiobook because yeah, as as good as the as good as the novel is, Will Wheaton just adds another layer of awesome to it. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. Yeah, you know, a lot of people will still give him hell about whole, the whole Wesley Crusher thing, but after this, I'm, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be able to think of him as anything but Parsifal. Yeah, yeah. Well, and he did a great hog. Oh, he, yeah. he more than earned his stripes on this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, the way he did Sorrento just made my skin crawl. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that was yeah. one serious bad guy. Yeah, it was. <laughs> but you know, you can't have a hero without a without a worthy villain. 
which is why I still give Harry Potter all the crap I do. <laughs> this is a worthy villain. Yep. That book was a lot of fun. Um, I'm looking forward to knowing that there are sequels eventually coming out of this. <laughs> and I will definitely be there to watch the movie or movies, however they decide to do it, uh, when it comes out on the big screen. Because this, this yeah. would definitely be one to see on the big screen. Oh, yeah. This is definitely not a wait and rent it on Netflix or something. Uh, this is one to, to see, see on the big screen. On so the big screen. Exactly. And the soundtrack should be awesome. <laughs> This is going to be geek overload. <laughs> yeah, I just don't, I don't know how they're going to do the, the licensing for everything, but I guess um, Wreck-It Ralph had to deal with a lot of licensing. Nowhere near as much as this, but I guess they've got a template to work from. Yeah, it's called the template from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. They're going to have to go back to that and start referencing things from it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's about the only way they can do it. Well, let's hope they do it and don't have to cut anything out because it's perfect the way it is <laughs> all right so are we ready to pick our next month's book no i want to go back to this one <laughs> we're gonna do it again you can do that on your spare time <laughs> okay let's let's see what we got all right sing the song wheel of wheel morality, morality. Turn, 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 turn 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 tell us the lesson that, that we should learn. learn dracula wow that was a pretty sorry excuse for singing <laughs> Well, there was never any tune to it. <laughs> we got Dracula. Dracula? Yep. I can deal with this. I can do Dracula. That book sucks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next month, Bram Stoker's Dracula. All right. Classic. We got, we went from a, a instant classic to a classic classic. <laughs> yeah. That book is 116 years old. Yep. So, what do you think? Will it hold up in another 116? I don't know, maybe. We'll have to <laughs> see how many pop yeah. culture references Dracula pulls. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we wouldn't recognize them even if it did pull them. That's probably true. <laughs> I mean, you know... They're, the they're... only one of us that would have a chance to recognize them is probably Troy. I mean, you know, there may be references to kids playing with their sticks and wheels or something, but <laughs> that's about the only game around back then, right? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. <laughs> I think pickpocketing was a great pastime. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. So until next time, I guess we will talk to you guys later. It's been fun, guys. All right. Adios. See ya. Count Dracula had directed me to go to the Golden Kroner Hotel, which I found, to my great delight, to be thoroughly old-fashioned, for of course I wanted to see all I could of the ways of the country. I was evidently expected, for when I got near the door I faced a cheery-looking elderly woman in the usual peasant dress, white undergarment with long double apron, front and back of coloured stuff, fitting almost too tight for modesty. When I came close she bowed and said, "'The Herr Englishman?' Yes, I said, Jonathan Harker. She smiled, and gave some message to an elderly man in white shirt-sleeves who had followed her to the door. He went, but immediately returned with a letter. My friend, welcome to the Carpathians, I am anxiously expecting you. Sleep well tonight. 
At three tomorrow the diligence will start for Bukovina. A place on it is kept for you. At the Borgo Pass my carriage will await you and will bring you to me. I trust that your journey from London has been a happy one, and that you will enjoy your stay in my beautiful land. Your friend, Dracula. The 4th of May. I found that my landlord had got a letter from the Count, directing him to secure the best place on the coach for me. But on making inquiries as to details, he seemed somewhat reticent, and pretended that he could not understand my German. This could not be true, because up to then he had understood it perfectly. At least he answered my questions exactly as if he did. He and his wife, the old lady who had received me, looked at each other in a frightened sort of way. He mumbled out that the money had been sent in a letter, and that was all he knew. When I asked him if he knew Count Dracula, and could tell me anything of his castle, both he and his wife crossed themselves, and, saying that they knew nothing at all, simply refused to speak further. It was so near the time of starting that I had no time to ask anyone else, for it was all very mysterious and not by any means comforting. Just before I was leaving, the old lady came up to my room and said in a hysterical way, "'Must you go? Oh, young hare, must you go?' She was in such an excited state that she seemed to have lost her grip on what German she knew, and mixed it all up with some other language which I did not know at all. I was just able to follow her by asking many questions. When I told her that I must go at once and that I was engaged on important business, she asked again, "'Do you know what day it is?' I answered that it was the 4th of May." She shook her head as she said again, "'Oh, yes, I know that, I know that, but do you know what day it is?' On my saying that I did not understand, she went on, "'It is the eve of St. George's Day. Do you not know that tonight, when the clock strikes midnight, all the evil things in the world will have full sway? Do you know where you are going and what you are going to?' Oh, she was in such evident distress that I tried to comfort her, but without effect. Finally she went down on her knees and implored me not to go.' at least to wait a day or two before starting. It was all very ridiculous, but I did not feel comfortable. However, there was business to be done, and I could allow nothing to interfere with it. I therefore tried to raise her up, and said as gravely as I could that I thanked her, but my duty was imperative, and that I must go. She then rose and dried her eyes, and taking a crucifix from her neck, offered it to me. I did not know what to do, for, as an English churchman, I have been taught to regard such things as in some measure idolatrous, and yet it seemed so ungracious to refuse an old lady meaning so well and in such a state of mind. She saw, I suppose, the doubt in my face, for she put the rosary round my neck and said, "'For your mother's sake,' and went out of the room. I'm writing up this part of the diary whilst I'm waiting for the coach, which is, of course, late, and the crucifix is still round my neck.' Whether it is the old lady's fear, or the many ghostly traditions of this place, or the crucifix itself, I do not know, but I am not feeling nearly as easy in my mind as usual. If this book should ever reach Mina before I do, let it bring my goodbye. Here comes the coach. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Please visit our home on the web at scififx.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at scififx. And we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash sci-fi-fx. Like us on Facebook. It's an easy way to be kept up to date with all the latest sci-fi news, and you'll be entered to win a free prize. You can also stream our podcast using Stitcher Smart Radio on any mobile device with an internet connection running on iOS, Android, WebOS, or on BlackBerry smartphones. Follow the Fellowship of the Geeks on Twitter at Fellowship Geeks. Check out Geekdom Nation on the web at geekdomnation.com 
and follow Geekdom Nation on Twitter at Geekdom Nation. 